Hey, are you ready to grow your business? You have checked out the number one resource for business leaders, entrepreneurs, startup founders, and managers. And we're going to teach you how to grow and scale your business with real actionable steps. There's no fluff in this podcast. It's just good advice. Check out this episode. If you're a first-time listener, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoy this episode, leave us a five-star review. Today's episode is with Toby Goldstein, who's the owner of Bite Size Workshops. And we're talking about one of my favorite topics today, which is how the heck do you be a good boss? How do you manage well? How do you lead well? And how do you get people to do the things you want them to do when it comes to running a successful business? We're going to be talking about it today, including the actual tangible things you can do to be a more effective leader at work. We're going Bite Size today. Check out this episode. You're going to love it. Here comes your good advice. Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Good Advice Podcast. And here's the deal. We're talking about something that you've heard me talk about time and time again. It's something that I'm passionate about. It's something that probably you're passionate about because whatever job you're in, you've probably had a bad manager before. You've probably had a bad boss before. And on the flip side, you've probably, I hope, have had that job where you've been like, oh my gosh, I can work for the rest of my life. This place is amazing. I love my boss. I love what I'm doing here. Well, today we're going to be talking about employment employee engagement, really getting your team on board with what you're doing. And I have with us today, Colby, Colby, I don't know where Colby just came from. Toby Goldstein is with us today. And she's going to be talking about this topic. She's the founder of Bite Size Workshops. And we're just going to dig in today. Toby, it is so great to have you here today. Thank you. I'm so excited. I'm excited too. And I got to give the listeners a little bit of context for how, uh, why I reached out to you and asked you to come on the show. I had put some article up on LinkedIn or I'd shared something on LinkedIn. And it was like, you know, we all hear these stories about like employers who do these things. You're just like, oh, why would you do that? You know, it's kind of like the pizza party type thing. And you mentioned that you had, I think, worked with a company where they had like a sushi day, which I love sushi. It sounds awesome. But they were kind of like, patting themselves on the back. Like, of course, everything's great here. We have sushi day. You know, why wouldn't things be wrong? And so I, I'm excited to hear more about you, hear more about some of your stories. And I think for our listeners, we're just really excited to get some of your insight on what does it really mean to lead effectively. So having said that, welcome to the show today. Thank you. So, and you're right. Sushi Tuesday does not do it. <laughs> like it, it, you know, what's funny about this, this is... Sushi is expensive. You know, it's not cheap. And I've always loved the companies that are like dumping tons of cash into like these perks. And it's like, you know, if you just treated your employees better, it'd be a lot cheaper as well. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do, Toby. Okay. So, I have been, let's backtrack a little bit. I have been working with youth and college students, setting them up for internships, summer's time. And it was fascinating. I loved that work. But what really fascinated me was some of the students got internships to stay on. Some of them actually got paid scholarships. Some of them got promoted. And it was like really cool. It was like a guessing game every year. It's like, okay, so who's going to be getting the promotion this year? And who's getting that paid scholarship this year? 
And I was surprised over and over again by those that had actually received these great benefit packages. And at that point, it's like, hold it a second. People are not paying for somebody to go through college or people are not promoting somebody without reason. There must be a reason why they're doing it. And to the outside eye, it looked like they were lucky. But in essence, they actually were not. I mean, they were lucky, but they were lucky because they actually had the skills that helped them get that promotion. And it was interesting because I had to take that step back and I interviewed them and I interviewed their colleagues. I interviewed their supervisors. And it took me a while to nail it down, which made me aware that it was heavily based on those people skills, those soft skills. I know people hate that term, but it actually is soft. It was what their communication looked like, their creativity, their time management. And that's where actually actually got them the the promotion and got them those scholarships. It was a great awareness. And I was like, oh, yeah, pretty cool. Okay, everybody, you just need soft skills in order for you to get through college or to get that additional bonus. And I just filed that away. Fast forward a couple of years, I was giving a workshop to a group of teachers. And I was just talking about a variety of skills, helping them give the skills to the students. And at that point, one of the teachers stood up and she got upset. She's like, oh, we don't need these skills. It's a waste of time. And she just like went on a little bit of a rant. And we're all sitting here nodding our heads. And I decided to actually take the bullet at that point. And I knew and all those teachers sitting in that room knew that that teacher had parents calling saying they don't want their students in her class, needed a new assistant every single year was having difficulty with management. And it was actually those, you know, the lack of those skills. And I was like, okay, so how am I going to make her aware of what those, the power of those skills? She actually, I I just had to calm down after she went on that rant. And then I explained to her, you know, bringing back the idea of the workshops that it was those students that had the skills that actually succeeded in life. And it was taking it a step further, which I personally love is I keep up with those students. And a lot of them moved on to leadership positions, which is really cool to see, you know, the level of growth over there. And that's what made me aware saying who actually is a leader, Mm. right? What helps you get on to that next level? And it really is those people skills. What does your communication look like? What is your time management, your awareness, you know, Basic, basic, basic is what helps you really go far. Got, got them the promotion and, you know, got them those next leadership. Positions. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny because like on, on this side of it, like with, with, when I say this side, I mean like you and I, who like, we've seen these skills firsthand and we know how valuable they are. It's, it feels like on this side of it, everyone's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like how, how could you lead or how could you be an effective, not even just with leadership, but an effective employee if you didn't have these things. And yet it feels like there's people who are really disconnected from this concept. Like you mentioned this teacher, for example, which by the way, anyone listening, if you've ever presented and someone like openly just says, this is a a pile of junk. There's nothing worse. I feel like, I mean, I was, I was presenting one time and I had pulled up an HBR, uh, like the results of an HBR study. And someone was like, I don't care what Google told you or like what you Googled. And I was like, well, it's not Google. It's Harvard business review, but you know, but that's, that's very, uh, it's always challenging when you, when you come face to face with someone who is just like, I don't believe in this stuff. I don't care about it. And you realize, oh, it's because you aren't self-aware enough to really grab onto this. Why does it feel like there is this gap there? There's this disconnect between the people who get it 
and those who are kind of like, they are the ones who were saying, oh, it's a soft skill. It's optional. I don't really need that. You know, sure, I can scream at my employees, you know, whatever. What, what do you think the reason is for that disconnect? That's such a great question. And being that I had been in education prior to actually doing something like this is I'm going to just bring in my experience. Two things. Number one, it would be things people are bored with soft skills and everybody has a different level of strength within the soft skills. Some of them more aware, some of them less aware. So it's just the inborn skill definitely coming in. The second thing is actually the environment and what they learned when they were younger. Did they learn how to share? Did they learn how to negotiate? Did they learn how to communicate with classmates? And you see those, you know, within school that did not communicate well, or I would say always got their way. It just continued onwards. It's, you know, you saw those that just always came late, tend to come late to work, um, which was very interesting because initially we had somebody, you know, I was working with one of the interns, extremely charismatic and everybody, you know, turned toward that person. But it wasn't coming because that person was so nice or just had a great relationship with others. It was more like they just had to follow her because they were afraid of her. So when this particular person went out to the workforce, they didn't have that power and flunked because they came in expecting everybody to bow down to them, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, you coming in and building those skills. And the beauty about these soft skills is they can be built. IQ has no place over here. This is EQ. I know. Now let's get like all touchy feely over here, but this is serious. It's something that you can take and it's something that you can hone. IQ doesn't make a difference. IQ is something that you could, you know, generally you're born with EQ you're born with it, but when you have that awareness, you can build on top of it. So that, I hope that answered that question. Yeah, yeah. And, and for the listeners, uh, I've mentioned it before, but if you are just tuning in and you aren't familiar with the terminology, EQ is emotional intelligence. And that, that is this concept that we're talking about right now. Um, it, it's probably a bit... Uh, wrong to put it this way, but you can think of it almost like your people skills and how you interact with people. Um, Toby, tell me more about... So you were you were you were having this sort of moment of insight of realizing, okay, my students are, they're making it happen. And it's not necessarily the education that they're taking with them. It is this, this interpersonal skill set that's really helping them get ahead. How did you go from there and started in, in doing like these first workshops to now having bite-sized workshops? Great question. So I actually enjoyed it a lot. I was focused in the early childhood setting, um, really ensuring that these students were getting the skills that they need. I always said, I'm laying down the foundation for success for them. That was my absolute goal. They don't need to learn A. They're going to learn that in kindergarten. They're going to learn that in first grade. Right now, they need to learn how to communicate, how to interact, how to play with one another. And this play is going to come through how to interact when they're older. So I was focused on this part and I started started giving workshops to teachers, giving them the skills to give the students, really enabling them to have those skills, which eventually led me to give the teachers the skills because they were never taught these skills. You go through school, you don't learn about soft skills. You don't learn what does it mean to actually listen to somebody. Like we got Blake, everybody just nodding his head. So he's showing me that he's listening (laughs) and interacting over here. But this is a skill and some people have it, some people don't, but it's something that you can go ahead to learn. So I started working with the teachers and very interestingly is I had an administrator once 
And this is where it comes in is you got to watch those workshops because you don't know who's watching you over there. I had an administrator watching me at that point. And it was like, okay, whoever wants to learn and listen, just come one, come all. And he was listening. He was standing by the side. Some of the teachers were freaked out that their boss was standing there, but I just shrugged it off. And it was actually to my benefit because he actually left the school, went into business and when he came into business, he came in as a, he joined as a senior position and he all of a sudden saw what was going on. He's like, Ooh, these people don't have the skills that those teachers are getting. What's going mm-hmm. on there? I'll call Toby Goldstein down. And one thing led to another. I love that. I love that. And I, by the way, I love the name bite-sized workshops. Um, Cause I think a lot of times when people think about workshops, they think about like the grueling, um, you know, day after day. Like I, I had someone call me one time who they were asking about, you know, would you recommend like a three day all day intensive? And I was like, I know I wouldn't want to sit through that, but um, so I, I love the concept of it. Tell me more about kind of what you are seeing in today's work environment. It's, and it's a bit of a loaded question because COVID, I think, has created such a um, different take on leadership and management. But I'd love to just get some of your insights for the listeners on the most common challenges that you're seeing in teams, in leadership, and how they're collaborating, getting things done. What's happening in your world in terms of, of what you're seeing? I'm just going to backtrack a minute, just talk a little bit about bite-sized workshops. The idea came from personal on actual, you know, evidence and scientific based evidence. Personal is I myself had to attend a lot of workshops. I could not sit through it. And not only was <laughs> I not able to sit through it, I came home exhausted and bombed. Next day I went to work, whatever I learned went phew, straight out oh, yeah. the window. I just, it was too much for me. And not only that, I was a boss when I came home. Because I had it. So it was not good for anybody that was in my path after I attended a workshop. So that was just my personal end. I started doing research of how a person learns best and how a person retains the information and actually holds themselves accountable to the information. And that came through with bite size. Small micro learning is what enables a person to retain, to remember, and actually hold themselves accountable. So I built this system in place. That's it for bite size. On to the question, what I'm seeing now, I talk quickly. No, I'm not an initial New Yorker, but I am living in a New York <laughs> environment makes a difference. Oh, <laughs> so that's guess. what you're getting over here. I love it. Um, just to, in regards to COVID, which is, I actually find this fascinating, but it's so obvious. Companies that have been doing well before learned how to pick up the pieces or manage much smoother than the companies that have not been doing so well before COVID. On the face, everything may have looked smooth. COVID hit. It really brought the awareness is like, oh, wow, our employee engagement is low. Morale is low. Mm -hmm. No culture, you know, Mm -hmm. no communication. So that really brought everything. I think it raised things to the forefront over here and brought it to people's attention. Now it goes back to the company. Some companies are trying to dig that and ignore that and just cover that up. While some companies are actually being aware and saying, hey, our communication was really bad. What can we do to make it better? Or our employee engagement, our employee morale was really low. What are the next steps that we can take? So I think that it definitely brought the awareness, but it only brought the awareness to people who want to see it. And that's with everything in life. It's, you know, you could ignore signs and you could just move forward or you could actually say, okay, hold it. What have I seen? And now what am I going to be doing with that? It almost feels like there's some leaders who are just doomed to never be self-aware. And I I think uh, it was HBR that had some kind of study out that talked about the number of people who are 
who are actually self-aware versus who say they're self-aware. It's only like 10 to 15%. But I always think it's funny where like when someone leads with, you know, Hey, I lead this company. And by the way, I'm really self-aware. Cause then you have to like wonder, like, are you really, but I love that insight you made though, about the businesses that were doing really well before. Cause it feels like when COVID hit and so many businesses went remote, it feels like, the businesses that were already doing well, and I don't mean just in terms of like profit, I mean, I mean, in terms of like how they treat their employees, the trust that they give their employees, it feels like that transition was done really easily. Whereas it feels like other businesses who like, I I remember getting phone calls when COVID and maybe it was like the summertime COVID had been around for a few months and people were saying, Hey, we don't have, we don't have a culture. Like we want to build a culture. What do we do? And I remember thinking like, this would have been a great question to ask two years ago because the companies that are doing really well right now are the ones who've been working on their culture, who've been managing their culture and now are kind of reaping the benefits of it. For the sake of our listeners, um, what what's your definition of culture and how does a business build it? That's a great question. I do want to mention something that there was a company that I was working with prior to COVID. They had a great culture. Now, culture is not just the people. It's the actual atmosphere environment within a company. It's not just the people there, which means that if you have a couple people leave, it doesn't dismantle the culture. The culture is, I would say, the thing that hovers over the company and over the people and within the people. There was a company that I was working with that actually lost all the sales. The sales went straight down to zero. There were a company that had to go, you know, that was out there. And they literally did not have any sales because nobody was traveling. Nobody was, you know, working with anybody hands on and they totally, totally plummeted. And they were like, oh my gosh, Toby, what are we doing? And what happened was it was the employees themselves who had lifted their CEO and they lifted the entire company off the ground. They said, listen, we got to transition. We got to change. Let's move forward. What can we do with the skills that we already have? And they completely took a 360 turn and they changed things up. But the company was able to pick themselves up because of the employees. And this was because there had been a culture in place. So saying, as you had shared before, you know, that sale, yeah, sales didn't make a difference. They had no sales, but they had such a core group of people that said, okay, what are we doing now in order for us to continue forward, in order for us to succeed? When you have company, when you have employees willing to say that, you know that there's something much stronger in place than their paychecks that's holding them there. And that's what's important for any leader to know is your employees should want to be where they are. The company is a part of them. The company is who, you know, definitely contributes to who they are. You don't own your employees, but they feel for the company. They're not coming to work only to collect the paycheck. Yes, paycheck is a big step. And everybody keeps on saying is I'm working for the money. You should not only be working for the money. Yes, money is very important. There's no way we could survive without it. I'll agree with that. But there should be that satisfaction that you're coming home with from work. And there could be days that you're pulling 10 hours. That's okay. (laughs) But it's that feeling that's given. So if you want to know if a company culture is okay, is ask the employees. The employees are going to tell you, not the CEO and not the boss. And that's, I think that's what's funniest to me about it is, you know, you have 
leaders or the boss or whoever who says, oh yeah, we have a great culture. And then you, you ask those employees and they're like, yeah, (laughs) they're like, we, we hate it here. We, I I am literally miserable. It's like, oh, okay, cool. For the sake of the listeners, I do just want to explain Sushi Tuesday. I had a CEO that reached out to me, um, you know, saying, hey, Toby, I don't really need your help. We do something. Our culture is great. We do something called Sushi Tuesday, which means every Tuesday we bring sushi down to the office and we all come into the conference room and we eat together and it's really nice. And he was going on and on about the culture. And I was like, okay, so then you don't need me. But I actually asked him if I can reach out to employees. I reached out to the employees and this was the feedback that I had gotten. I'm allergic to fish, cannot touch any sushi. I would never touch rice. I need to be completely, you know, gluten free and so on free. I don't like sushi. It freaks me out. And like, there was a lot of comments coming in. And when I asked the CEO, when I asked the leader himself, if he knew about this, he's like, no. I was like, oh, you like the sushi. You're finishing the sushi. So when you see that there's no sushi left, you feel great. But it was you who ate most of it. So it was just, you know, going back to the awareness. You really want to know what's going on. It's the employees that are going to tell you. Now, employees are not always honest. Mm-hmm. But that reflects on the culture again on itself. I, I think that's a great insight. Absolutely. is. And I, someone shared it with me the other day on, you know, what do I do when my employees lie about what they really think about either me or the business or what have you? And the guy I was talking to had a really great answer. Similar to what you just said, he flipped it and said, well, that's, you created that, you know, you've created a culture who, who does that. I think also something you mentioned that I really appreciate is it feels like a lot of times we make pay and culture mutually exclusive. So like, you know, we want employees to love it here, but we also, it's almost like we want to guilt people for wanting to take a paycheck home. And it feels like the businesses who do really well, both understand that they need to take care of their employees in terms of like their financial um, obligations, actually pay them and treat them like human beings and not you know widgets in the business. Uh, and it feels like it's it's a rarity when companies understand how to do both of those things really well. Yeah, and it's interesting. There's a couple of things that a company has to keep a finger on for employees, and these are the things that people generally fear. It's not, you know, just this, but these are the things that I always say a company definitely has to keep their finger on, the pulse on. Number one is health of employees. Why did the boss just have to find out when an employee had to take a two-week leave that the employee was visiting the hospital once a week for the past few months? That's awful. That's awful all around. The employee didn't feel comfortable telling the boss, was afraid of losing the job. Boss would not be understanding. Number one is health of employees. Of course, if something's personal, you don't need to know about it. They want to keep something quiet. But you have to, if it's something that you must know, it's just know this is a fear for employees. And you have to do what you can to ensure the health of your employees, which means making them work overtime for so many hours and so many months in a row is not okay. Working overtime is okay at times. It's you know always making sure that the pendulum is you know going back and forth. And there are times that you have to work overtime, but health has to come into play. I'm not telling you to go put up an exercise room and a nap room at work, but it's being aware that health plays a role with an employee's engagement. Health, financials. Financials plays a role with their engagement. If they are going to be worried 
of how they're going to be playing the bills, how do you expect them to work 100%? If they're concerned about something that's laying over the head or the house is actually being foreclosed, how do you expect them to work? I'm not asking you to pay for that mortgage. I'm asking you to pay them the going rate and maybe help them. You know, get them the advisor, see what they can do, see the possibilities out there. And the last thing I'm just not going to be spending too much time a little bit would be a little bit talking about relationships with relationships within and itself can also be something that would take away an employee's engagement and focus. Um, there can, definitely can be on other things, but it's always just to keep the finger on the pulse over there is extremely important. Well, and those, and I don't know if it's fair to call them like intangible things. They're, they're definitely indirect things because a lot of times when we, as managers or bosses or leaders, the, the primary thought that we're having about our employees is what is their production? What have they done for me or the business lately? And so a lot of these conversations are on, you know, you made this many calls, you made this much in sales, you produced this much of the product. And we don't spend a lot of time on these other factors that I think you're absolutely right absolutely feed into uh, the whole person of the employee. And I think that's something we miss sometimes is the people working for you, they are a whole person with obligations and responsibilities. And, um, and it's amazing how quickly we lose sight of that. Uh, I have a friend of mine who she works for a business. She's worked there for four years. She's never missed a day, never taken a sick day, nothing. She's incredible. And she had to take a sick day and her boss basically harassed her about it and was like, you know, how could you be taking a sick day today? Like what, what is going on with that? And those moments where you sort of lose sight of the um, humanity of your people, uh, I have found those things to be incredibly damaging to culture. Um, you know, and it's, it's question why you've been working there all along. Right, right. And and for the listeners who are listening in, they're like, oh, well, I don't, you know, I don't do anything like that. Um, I'm not one of those bosses. That actually may be true. You may not be one of those bosses, but I think the easiest way you can find out what kind of boss you are is doing what Toby suggested, the really scary question of actually asking your people what do you think of me? How am I doing? You know, we're really good at these annual reviews where, you know, you sit down with your teammate or your employee and you tell them how they're doing. Um, I remember I worked for a company where everyone got reviews and there were peer reviews. Everyone got it except for the boss. That was the only person who didn't get it. And he probably um, needed it the most. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, you know, and, and everyone needs feedback, right? But it's, it's incredibly common. I think how often that happens because I think a lot of times as the boss, we don't want to look like we don't have it all together. We don't want to be vulnerable. And yet some of the best bosses I've seen, they do that really well of here's, here's how I suck. Here's how I've missed it. You know? Um, and I appreciate you bringing that up. Did I just cut you off? No, uh -uh. I ramble. Okay. So you probably better that you cut me off. <laughs> so, well, what's very interesting is, I'll be honest. Personally, myself, I had to take this step back to back to learn. Is I was not so vulnerable with my employees initially. I was scared to open up. I was not asking for feedback at times. I could put it on excuses and say I came in. I was very young. The employees that I was overseeing were way older than me. That's just excuses. I had not been the boss that I should have been. And then when I had once mentioned something, the employees looked at me and they're like, oh, wow, I can't believe you mentioned that. And that's when I realized it was that eye opener piece. I actually spoke about my daughter. 
that, you know, they want to hear a little bit. No, I don't have to go into the personals. I don't have to be their best friend. I don't have to be their buddy, but I do have to be human. And Mm -hmm. I do have to show them that human face versus, you know, work, 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 work. What do we do? What do we accomplish? (laughs) Well, and you know, and it's, it, 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 I think the feedback loop, it never feels good, but when we talk about, see, and I think this is where we miss it sometimes when we talk about culture and you joked earlier about like the touchy feely. And, and I I think that is what people envision when they think of culture, but culture is very literally, I mean, it's, it's the tangible and use the word atmosphere. I mean, that is what it is. It's like, what does it feel like to work here? And I remember asking my team, Hey, you know, how am I doing? What do you think about me? And I remember getting some really harsh feedback, like really like, I remember one guy was like, Hey, you know, when we're, when we're talking about things, you have a habit of just jumping in there and shutting it down and saying, this is what we're doing. And part of me is like, well, yeah, that's my job, right? Like I'm, (laughs) I'm the boss. Right. But, but to be able to get comfortable with that and not take it personal. I think that is what builds trust with team members and, and makes them feel like my opinion matters here. It matters what I think. And I want to keep working here because I'm an individual person who does matter, not just again, a cog in the machine. hundred percent. I always say the basic foundation for employee engagement is going to start with respect do you respect them as individuals? Do they respect the company that they're working for? And do they respect you? And you have to give them a reason to respect you. They're not just coming in and respecting you because they're your boss. That's coming from fear. You want them to respect you for who you are as a person and what you contribute. You know, taking that step back, do you micromanage their time? Do you respect their time? Are you flexible with them at times when flexibility is needed? Baseline is you know, you need that respect. Upon that, you're going to take the next step and you're going to focus on trust. How are you building trust with them, right? You have to give them the opportunities to learn, opportunities to make mistakes. How do you respond when they make a mistake? How are you building that level of trust and competence? And once you got the trust, because you go on to the next step, it's like, I got your trust. I show you that I trust you. What does your feedback look like? Giving feedback before you got respect, before you got trust goes in from one ear out the other. So it's really, you know, making sure that you got the foundation in place, that you got a feedback in place. What does your feedback look like? And then how are you holding them accountable for that feedback? How constructive is it? How many times did you compliment them? It's like, I always tell leaders, you want to be a leader? Keep a logbook of how many times you complimented them without the word, but without yeah. the birds, you know, without that right. word, how many times did you compliment each individual employee? Not as a total, it's like, yeah, I gave someone a compliment today. Is how many times did you a compliment Toby? Did you compliment Blake? What was that compliment like? How sincere was it? So it's, you know, you're moving on to that feedback and to that accountability piece over there, then giving them those opportunities, right? Because you trust them, you have each other's respect, you know that the feedback is going to be in place, give them the opportunities, Train them, give them the mentors that they need. Take their skills to that next level. Don't just focus on saying, hey, they're doing great work or they're a mediocre worker. It's okay, I can handle that. No, 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 no. It's your job to be training them. That's why they're your employee or part of your team is your job is to take them to the next level. If an employee entered your team and you didn't take them to the next level, whose fault is it? Not theirs. Mm -mm. Right. 
I, I always liked the expression of if someone's getting fired and it's the first time they're hearing about all their fault, all their faults, it's not their fault. It's, it's your fault. You're the bad oh, yeah. boss. And it, your st- your comment makes me think of a story where I had an employee working for me who was horrendous, horrendous. She was so bad. And I went to my boss and, um, they had decided to fire her. I went to my boss and I was like, Oh, that was such, that was the right call. I mean, she was awful. Here's like the thing she did. And I remember he paused and I was like, okay, he's not really meshing with my stories here. And he pauses and he looks at me and he goes, well, what did you do about that? And what did you do about this? And what did you do about that? And I was like, well, I didn't do anything. I'm, I'm telling you now. Right. And it, I, I just, I will never, I mean, this would have been over a decade ago. I will never forget that feeling of, holy cow, I totally failed this person. And here I was thinking like, oh yeah, they suck. They're terrible. You know, it's like, no, they, they were well-meaning. They wanted to do the work good. Uh, they wanted to do their job well. And I just, you know, smugly was like, eh, they don't have it, you know, <laughs> but that's common. That's how we approach it sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So I always say before you build that level of respect is you got to make sure that they're the right person. You know, you hear it all the time, right person, right job and the right seat. Right. But what does that actually even mean is you first have to make sure that they belong in this company and then making sure that the job that you get give them fits their strengths and fits their skills. And if not, how are you going to train them and hold them accountable and follow through with that? So that's something that is an actual baseline. Don't just hire because you need a person because that's going to lead that person to burn out you frustration. And then the whole company's morale is going to go down because they see that person left after a few weeks. So it's really just making sure that there's a system in place and you're thought out. You are aware. I'm hiring this person because this person fits our culture, fits our values, fits what we believe in. If you believe in staying late every single day at work and this person is used to leaving at five o'clock, what are you doing to yourself and to them? Mm-hmm. Seriously. And you know what, if that person, sorry, but if vice versa, I actually had that in a company where everybody leaves at five o'clock, no matter what, I could pick up the phone, I could email no answer past five o'clock. They actually hired an employee who was used to working like to six, seven, eight o'clock at night. And I told them, I said, just make sure that you're aware that this employee thinks that he has to work at six, seven, eight o'clock in order for himself to be considered a good employee. You're going to have to compliment him at a work till five and make sure that he leaves to five. It was a transition period, but they were aware that it was a transition. He loves it. I'm out of five, but you know what I did today? <laughs> there you go. I love it. I love it. Well, you know, and again, these things, these concepts aren't, they're not hard to understand. You know, it's not rocket science. And yet it's, it almost feels like some companies get it and some don't. Um, Going back to what you said a second ago, hiring for culture fit. I want to pause there for a second. And how how does a business hire well, interview well, and bring someone on well, to mesh with the values that they have. And I ask this question because it feels like sometimes, uh, uh, feels like sometimes we don't know how to interview for this. We don't know what to ask. We don't know what to do. And the other thing is it feels like sometimes as business owners, we have very real um, dysfunctions in the business. 
and we say, well, that's just the culture here. You know, I mean, I had a business where um, they were incredibly toxic in how they talked about their customers. Like our customers are idiots. They were an IT company. Our customers are idiots. They don't know any better. You know, they'll promise you they didn't mess anything up, but they're always screwing things up. And when they got pushback on that line of thinking, they're like, well, that's our culture. You know, you, you don't fit here if you don't have our, you know, our cultural values. And it's like, I don't know if that's a value. That's more of, you know, what have you. But um, all that to say, how does a business know their culture well and then hire according to it? So just to answer that question with the pushback in regards to toxic customers, values are things that you're proud of and willing to share to the world, right? Things that you're going to share. These are our values. Values are going to be out there. This is part of who we are. And this is going to feed into our culture of who we are as people. So what's very important for our company is to take this step back and ask, what do we value most? What is very important for us as people? Right. And sometimes they can't answer that easily, but giving them a list of different types of values or having the feedback from everybody within the company of what they see it helps you answer that. Some of the companies would say, Our value is we're there to help people no matter what. Right. And if somebody is having a hard time interacting with people, and uncomfortable dealing with people, knowing that this is what they're going to have to do on a daily basis, helps them put a stop and say, is this something that I can do? Nothing bad on anybody. This person may be a perfect fit for a different company, but knowing that he, no matter whoever it is, is going to have to answer phones or deal with customers because this is part of who this company is, mm-hmm. They're going to have to acknowledge, I can or cannot do that. This is a part of me, not a part of me, right? Going back to, it can be honesty. That can be a value. Creativity could be a value. If somebody feels that they don't have it within them, it doesn't say anything bad. It just means Mm -hmm. that they're not a right fit for the company. A company generally would have, I would say on average, between three to seven values, And it's worked on together. It's the employees who contribute. It's the leaders out there. It's we are here together. These are our values. This is what we hold very dear and sacred, which means should the employee know that we all answer calls, we're all willing to serve as customers, and you're looking to hire, and this person has a hard time interacting with others, has a hard time communicating with others. You have to know, okay, So this person may need the training. Do we have the training? Is this person willing to be trained? Because this is something that he's going to have to do no matter what. We're not going to excuse him because this is part of who we are as a person, right? Which would be like, hey, Blake, that phone is, you know, ringing. Do you mind answering it? Or like, oh, no, I don't answer calls. I was hired without answering calls. It was like, what's going on over here? So it's really just knowing who you are as that company, which is extremely important. You know, going back to people value time, people value family time, right? Which means everybody leaves here at five o'clock. Yeah, great. I can do it. But with the understanding with that person, he's like, great. I always left like at 637 o'clock every single day. I for sure could leave at five. But he had to understand that he tied his achievements every single day by leaving late. He had to know how to reorganize his time and be aware that that may be difficult, but he's willing to do it. So it's just really being aware, do I fit in the company? Once you know that you fit into the company, I need to know if the job actually fits for you because this job demands you to be punctual. This job demands you to 
know how to write professionally or whatever it is, can you do those things? Nobody's going to be 100% fit. Our goal is that 80% train on the 20%, which is something that you must be aware of. You're never going to find that perfect fit. That perfect person just lays here, nowhere else. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, I like to say that perfect person isn't going to come work for you anyway because you can't afford them. You know, I mean, like that perfect person. Perfect. So I love that insight on on hire for the 80%, train for the 20%. And in, in some ways, it... it you know, obviously your business is your baby, but on the same token, I don't want to say you, you lower your standard, but you get a, you get a bit more realistic on who we can get, who we can hire and then doing well by them, by training them and bringing them up to the level that you want them to be at. So yeah. I think that's all great insights. But. Something that I find helpful with hiring is word of mouth within the company right? Because if you have already the great culture, an employee who's going to refer a new employee knows already what the company is looking for, knows that person will be a good fit. And it's somebody that I trust, right? Because this is my employee who does a great job and really knows who we are. Referring somebody else, I would listen. So I always tell companies, you're looking to hire, let your employees know. Mm-hmm. As long as you got the great culture in place, yeah. let your employees know. They <laughs> can find like, you great. Don't work here. Yeah. <laughs> I hate this place. Don't work here. <laughs> yeah. And so. I tell I tell potential hires, you call the employees within a company. Yeah. You call them. Boss ain't going to tell you anything. Leader ain't going to tell you anything. Mm-hmm. They could be talking nonsense. You listen to the employees. I love it. I love it. Well, Toby, we are unfortunately out of time today. It's been such a great conversation. For the listeners who are listening, they're like, oh my gosh, I love what this person's talking about. What does it look like for someone to follow you, learn more from you, and maybe even work with you? Uh, how can my listeners do that? You can find me on my website. That's at www.gobitesize.com. I keep it bite size. You can find me on LinkedIn on Toby Goldstein as well. Feel free to reach out to me. Well, Toby, it's been great having you on today. Thanks for making the time. Thank you for having me. And good luck, guys. <laughs> for our listeners, hey, if you have been wanting to learn more about this topic or maybe even work with Toby, I'm going to put her website, gobitesize.com, down in the episode description below. I'm also going to put the link to her LinkedIn profile. You know how much I love LinkedIn. Uh, so I'll make sure I link her down below. And hey, if you are a first time listener to this episode, what the heck are you waiting on? Click that subscribe button so you can keep getting good advice wherever you are. And don't forget, we are on Patreon, patreon.com com slash good advice if you want to support the podcast or even get your business advertised on the podcast. Again, that's patreon.com slash good advice. As always, thanks for listening and we appreciate you. We'll catch you later. See ya.